Father, this morning, once again, we come to you, Lord. We come here ourselves, and all your children here everywhere, Lord. In this time of the word and prayer into thy hands, Lord. I pray, Father, anoint each one. Equip and strengthen and empower each one, Lord. Especially those who are in the battlefield, Lord. Oh, Father, help us. You are our strength, our shield, our buckler, our glory, our lifter of our head, and our exceedingly great reward. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Teach us, Lord, how to stand in these last days. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, 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 amen. No? If you don't believe you are in the last days, just watch the news. Like, that's the reason we are in, uh, we are in the book of Revelation because that's one book that actually prepares you for the last days. It was written for the last days. And there are three qualities God demands or asks us to have and we've seen it over and over. It is one is endurance, the other is patience, and the third is perseverance. They are similar but not the same. Endurance in simple language is basically means under pressure to be able to handle the weight. Most people won't. They just crumble under the pressure. They cannot handle the weight because endurance doesn't come in one day. It's like going to a gym and over years training to lift higher and higher weights. When you go the first day, you look at the weights and you realize, I can't do that. But if you stay and you listen to your trainer, he keeps on increasing the weights and suddenly one day you look back and say, where did I begin? What am I lifting now? That's endurance, able to handle the weight. Patience is the ability to stay calm under that weight. Most people panic. Many panic. They just fall apart. They panic. And when you panic, that's the whole idea. When you panic, you do crazy stuff. You do crazy stuff when you panic. And that's what the devil tries to make people panic. Under pressure, when people panic, they do crazy stuff. But God says, be still. Learn to be patient. Be still. And know that I am God. Patience. Perseverance is not endurance or patience. It is still doing stuff while you're enduring and being patient. Because if you don't persevere, you can stand under the weight and and do nothing. It's not that. Persevere, you know what you're called to do. You know this is what God expects you to do under all these odds that are against you and you don't quit doing. You are still doing what you are called to do. So these three qualities, understand, in the last days, these three qualities, that's what we've been looking at Sunday with Elijah, how God is working this. Okay, and you will, you will realize even Elijah at the end will break under the pressure, but then God will recalibrate him, send him as a companion called Elisha, and then you will see he goes up in glory. 
He just brings down fire, kills those who are after him. I mean, we are not talking about that, but it's a spiritual picture. But when he goes, he's taken up in glory. Okay, so he doesn't. We have to see how he finishes. So we need to understand. That's what we are looking at. That's why we are studying. Because there is a battle going on. And if you don't see, it's a battle. And we see, was it coincidence that God connected us to something and for years we've been standing and in the gap and praying for a nation and for a particular individual. Because this war is fought at different levels and first and foremost you need to, if you don't understand that, it is spiritual. It's a battle in the spiritual realm. Okay, It's a battle at the spiritual level. Then when you come down to earth, it is political. It's a political battle. We heard the first, last song we saw, kings and kingdoms will pass away. But that's the level at which it is fought. It's a political battle, okay? A political battle. And you will realize, I mean, if you look at countries, you will see there are political battles going, taking place. And then there is at a social level, there's a reconstruction that is taking place. Society is being reconstructed in a different image altogether. Ages, centuries of social structure is being changed. And you cannot remain quiet in these seasons. Because you know what? If you remain quiet, it will, it will sweep you away. Okay? It's, it's like a flood. It's like a flood. When the flood comes, you need to be able to stand. Otherwise, it will just sweep you away. So there's a social reconstruction taking place. There is a moral reconstruction taking place, okay, where evil is being called good and good is being called evil. So moral restructuring taking place, like yesterday's poll or day for yesterday's poll that came out of the U.S. Why I put it across? Because we are a church, it's a Christians, we are Christians, we believe in certain fundamental truths that will never change. U.S. is considered the foremost Christian nation. And the poll that came out says 7 out of 10 in U.S. subscribe to same-sex marriage. That would actually mean only 30% actually believe. Because there are certain things you cannot have any doubts about. Where does God stand on these issues? Certain things which, you know, we know from the book of Genesis onwards, the book of Romans to everything, all the books we'll talk about. There are certain sins God is, uh, it's an abomination. Okay. So you don't look, though it may look, look like you look at um, homosexuality, which is a sexual sin, and you look at fornication, adultery, but they're not the same. They're not the same. One is wrong. But the genders are right. The other is an abomination. It is going against God's entirely created order. Against God's created order. Okay? So it is, though both are sins, they are not of the same nature. So when 7 out of 10 people says they have no issues with it, what does it talk about a moral decline of our nation? So it's a war taking place. So war taking place, seven, and if you look at that, the numbers have been going up over the years. Once a majority opposed it, now the majority sanctions it. So there's a war going on, a moral war going on. And then there's a total economic war going on to both to control and to surveil 
our money. And it's going to come. It's going to come. Digital currency is going to become the norm. This whole thing about taking out currencies out and all are this thing. Patterns of setting. Getting people to adjust to payment gateways. But the issue with payment gateways is that they control. I always said it's about control. Of course they will sell it across as about um, bringing down corruption and all. But in a democracy when you are saying you have to do these things, they are basically saying the people are all corrupt. People are all corrupt. But democracy is the will of the people. Okay? So when you have like I said, when I carry a note in my pocket, the power is in my hand. I choose how to spend, where to spend. But when it is digitalized, and they can slow down, your ATM can not work, your card cannot work, internet can be, it's all connected to something which is called the net. And the net is controlled by somebody else. So there is economic control that is coming. And second, they can survey you. Surveillance. They can make no Every payment you make. And through that they have a history of you. Your entire history. Because always they say, check the money trail. Like today, Trump has been indicted by the Justice Department over a document case. So that's what I'm saying. Second indictment coming on. But the problem is, all the others have not been indicted. The issue is the others is Biden, Pence, Hillary, all these people. But Trump was the only one who is a president who has the power to declassify documents. All the others had no power to declassify or actually take it with them. Well, he has. Okay, well, he has. So you have to look at the a difference of that. Okay, the thing is that they're going against, so there are Political structures, there are moral structures, there are economic structures, and like I keep saying, we social, you cannot sit like a pickle in the jar and say, it will not affect me. It will not affect, it will affect all of us. All of us. And though we may say, I have no power to, to change everything, you are forgetting the power God has given us in the spiritual realm. That is the actual power, the power to pray. The power to pray. Okay. That is where it is all defined. Okay. We have been given. So there is an economic and then there is the, the education. When I mean education, I don't mean just the school and the college system. Education is basically information. Okay. If you have no information being given in your schools and college, you are not educated and most people actually are self-educated. So when you talk about education, there is a school system, the college system, there is media. There is media. And what you see is absolute control. Absolute control. And people do not know, even in India, the few people control the entire media houses control media houses. So you are receiving information what they want you to see in their way. It's a control of what we hear. Okay, So we are seeing all these things happening right before our eyes. But like I said, there is war in heaven and there is war on earth. And ultimately, war in heaven has to be won. You know the picture, 
right? When Moses went to Egypt to bring God's people out, there is the Pharaoh who is the political head. But the first war is fought at the spiritual level. Spiritual level. If that is not, if you go to Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1 first. I want to look at verse 1 first. Hmm? But I know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. So this is talking about the last days. And then talking about holiness comes to verse 8 and 9. In verse 8 and now, now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses. Why are there perilous times? Because there are spiritual forces that is working in heaven and on earth. That's why there are perilous times. If spiritual forces are not at work, if righteous men and God's church is in control, then there will not be perilous times. There will be peaceful times. There will be peaceful times. There are times of peace. Okay, There are times of peace. When David was ruling, there was peace in Israel. Why? There's a righteous man in the throne and the priesthood is functioning normally. Worship is going on. Everything is going on. So Israel has peace because David has won over all Israel's enemies. And worship is now taking place over there. So you will see, Janus and Jambres resisted whom? Moses. So do these resist the truth, men of corrupt minds. But they will not progress no further. So you need to understand. Through it all, we need to understand. They will not progress further. That's a song we sang. That's the book of Revelation. They may look, they are winning. But they cannot win. They cannot win. Ultimately, they will all lose. Because their folly will be manifested to all. Okay. But the whole question here is, we need to understand. Ultimately, God is sovereign. And it's all powerful. That we need to understand. But we all have a part to play. Part to play. Okay. And when we are going through crisis, when the world is going through the crisis, and when the world is going, like when, when a river is in flood, everything is flowing downstream. So anything that is flowing downstream, it doesn't, the flood does not affect it. But if you are trying to withstand the flood, or to try to go upstream, then you will suddenly realize this is not easy. So you need you need to be tough. You need to be tough spiritually and politically. I always looked at that man and I always used to tell others also, you know, normal, goody-goody, nice Christians won't survive what he's going through. You needed a tough man, a really tough man, like post Elijah. You need a man like Jehu. Jehu was not an ordinary ruler. He was a tough leader. He was not a very spiritual guy. Not a very spiritual guy. But he had the mentoring of Elisha in the background, the spiritual man, but he was a cutthroat, tough man. Tough man. And you need people like that at every, 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 even here. When the last, uh, Indian election took place. Nobody ever thought Rahul would come back. I thought it was over, finished. But if you look at him, you look at him, he has resilience. Absolutely. Stuff. Okay. There are three. I mean, there are three different kind of people. They're not, we are, they're not typical believers or anything, but you look at it because you have to, 
you have to appreciate resilience. One is President Trump, another is Rahul, another is Imran Khan. You look at what is, how many cases against him, they shot at him to kill him. The whole military is against him, but he's still fighting, standing there. And these are tough people. These are tough people. So even in the political realm, we look at people and God says, you know what? You need to be tough. You need to be tough. You need to be tough. Okay? And because you have to look and therefore, ultimately this is a spiritual war. And in spiritual war, you need to realize you cannot defeat God. So there is a man who is going through enormous personal crisis. His name is Job. And he's lost everything. But he's still standing there. And he still says, even if you slay me, I will still serve you. I will still serve you. So when God ultimately starts speaking to Job, okay, in verse 38 onwards to 41, 3, chapter 4 chapters, God speaks to Job and he tells him, he's talking. And you should read those chapters because suddenly you will understand who is our God. He's speaking to in our terms. But if you go to, it's a rhetorical question, chapter 41 and verse 1. Okay. Now we do not know who Leviathan is, but in our, into, I probably believe he's giving us a picture of what Lucifer, Satan is in a human form we can understand. And there is a rhetorical question, Satan, who controls this whole world system. Okay. And then he says, can you draw out Leviathan with a hook or snare his tongue with a line which you know? The answer is we cannot, but God can. He's saying the greatest, the most powerful entity, okay, in the second realm that controls his world, which is Leviathan, which is Lucifer. He says he's just like a fish for me. I will hook him and I will draw him. Okay, I will draw him. He uses this term. So all these wicked ones who think they are in control and who are, who are, God sits at his throne and he laughs. He laughs. We have to keep going back to that. Otherwise what will happen? We will lose hope. We will lose hope. Or we will compromise. Or we will get complacent. These are all dangerous things. We will get discouraged. We will get depressed. We will get complacent. We will get depressed. But the thing is that you and I have been given power to fight. We may not have political influence. We may not have social influence. We may not have influence in the media. We may not have economic influence. But we need to know what we have. Behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. What you bind on earth shall be bound. So it is our God-given duty as God's children. And little kids sitting over here, don't ever think that I'm, what I'm saying is, when it comes to spiritual truths, age is irrelevant. Because it was a young boy called Samuel who defined Israel's history and anointed two kings. And the Bible says, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. Okay, so you need to realize, your age is irrelevant. Your heart is relevant. Your heart is relevant and you have to engage. So we go to Revelation. That's why we study and you go to Revelation chapter 1 and verses 1 to 5. <clears throat> That's the background. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him 
to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and who hears the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for that time. Why is he blessed? Because he will one into his nature, into his character, build in these things. Endurance, perseverance, patience, patience. And when the day of evil comes, he will learn to stand. And when everything is over, he will still be found standing. He would have learned, take the sword of the spirit and learn how to pray against the powers of darkness and do his part. And ultimately he will end up as an overcomer who inherits all. Okay, that's the whole pick. That's how you are blessed. You are blessed because you heard this is about the last days. There will be perilous days in the last days, and the reason is there is spiritual wickedness in high places. And two pictures are given there: Janus and Jambres. Those are the 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 who are involved in occult in this world to retain and control people's hearts and minds. Resisting is a man. It's a man whose name is Moses, a man who has been framed in 40 years in the wilderness to be taught how to endure, how to persevere, and how to be patient. And he's been sent out, sent out with one job, what is to bring God's people out. So there are pictures given in. And we have to look at those pictures. And then we come to verse 4. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And the seven spirits who are before his throne. We looked at all that and come to verse 5. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. We looked at all that. To him who loved us. Okay, we know God so loved the world, he sent his own son. But now we are seeing the love of our Christ. The love of Christ to him who loved us. And we look at the last part today, the most important part connected with us, who washed us from our sins in his own blood. How did he love us? How does he keep loving us? How does he keep loving us? He loved us and he keeps loving us by washing us from our sins in his own blood. This is what we need to understand. That part, we will look at it today. Because you need to understand, there's one thing that cannot change. The gospel cannot change. <clears throat> because if we change the gospel, it loses its power to save. Romans 1.16 says, The gospel is the power of God. I am not. Why? Ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation. For everyone who believes. So there is a power in the gospel. That's why it is called good news. If you change the gospel, it loses its power. And it may sound like good news, but it is not good news. It is bad news. So we need to understand what the gospel is. Because everything that we are going through, personal level, corporate level, national level, universe level, whatever level, everything we are going through second by second is the result of sin. Before 
Genesis chapter 3, you look back, it was paradise. There were no sin, therefore no effects of sin. Everything that you are going through, even sitting here, when Deepika is yawning. Why is Deepika yawning? Because Adam sinned. You are struggling. You are struggling to concentrate. Why? Because Adam sinned. Why do we sweat? Because Adam sinned. Why do we feel hot? Because Adam sinned. Why did I feel cold? Because Adam sinned. <laughs> we have no... Everything we go through second by second is the effects of sin. Effects of sin. So the cause is sin. The cause is sin. And unless we deal with the cause, we cannot change the effects. And how did sin come? Simple. How did sin come? Man and Adam and Eve, man, rejected what God said. God said something. Very simple. God said something. If you eat, you will die. What did we do? We rejected the authority of God's word. Okay, that's how sin came. <laughs> so we sinned against God. And God had said, <coughs> and it doesn't change, wages of sin is yes. death. What is death in other? Rewrite the word, rewrite the wages of sin is death. Rewrite with instead of death, rewrite it with using the word life. Then we'll understand. What is death? Loss of life. The wages of sin is loss of life. Then we understand it better. That's why we teach you grammar to rewrite sentences so we understand concepts better. Right? Wages of sin is death. Rewrite the sentence using life instead of death. So how do I write? The wages of sin is the loss of life. Why did Jesus come? To give us Life. So the solution is, first, sin has to be dealt with. Two, life has to be restored. Three, the authority of the king, that is Jesus, authority of the king and his word has to be restored personally and corporately. So if you come to Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, verse 6 is talking about that. washed us from his sins and his own blood. And what did he make us? Kings. Kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So he says, first sin has to be dealt with. And once it has been dealt with in your life, the cause has been dealt with. To take the effects of, he has made us kings and priests or priests and kings. Okay? That is what he has personally at a corporate level. A church is a set of people who are both in function, spiritual function, both kings and priests. We won't look at verse 6 today, but I just want to see how he's so. So this is what we need to understand. The thing is that God created us. God created us. So the creator knows what we need. And there are two words in English. One is called need, the other is called want. 
We confuse need with want. My God shall supply all your needs, not all your wants. God knows what we need. Most of our prayers are wants, but God knows what we need. Above all what we need, every man under the, in this planet, above all what they need, is to be restored to a relationship with God. That is what we need. We don't realize what we really need is to be restored to a correct, a right relationship with God. To be restored to a right relationship with God, what stands between God and man is sin. And he loved us. Christ loved us. He loved us. And he wants to restore us first to a relationship with God, his Father, and to a position with his Father as what? Kings and priests. And how did he do it? By washing us from our sins in his own blood. So please understand, this is how it is. If you don't understand what we're really, when you wake up in the morning, that's why we say, wake up in the morning, make a habit of worshipping, make a habit of meditating upon the word. Do you? Because what are you? It's okay. You are starting the day, what we say, on a right foot. Right relationship with that person that really matters. He's the person that really matters. Everybody else matters in life, but it is temporal because there is something called death will separate you. But death cannot separate you from God unless you choose to be separated from God by death. Yeah? So our fundamental need of everyone is to be restored. So the great commission is not to fill the church. The great commission is to fill the kingdom of God. You can fill a church without filling the kingdom of God. Okay? So the, the only way you can fill the kingdom of God is by preaching the gospel. The gospel is the good news which is actually catering not to the need, but the, it's not to the want, but the need of the people. And pastors become very smart politicians and they start catering to the wants of the people. But the job of a pastor is not to be a politician. He is catering to the need of the patient. Okay? And our greatest need is what you and I need. Forgiveness for our sins and to be restored to a right relationship with God. And the church is built on that rock called Christ. So there is a foundational principle when it comes to the that portion. He washed us from our sins in his own blood. Go to Leviticus 17 and verse 11. For the life of the flesh, which means any creature, okay, is in the blood. And have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Now we need to understand this. Okay, This body is just a container. Dabba. Okay? In Hindi we say Dabba. This body is just a Dabba. The real person is a soul. Salvation is not the salvation of your body. Salvation, it's a salvation of your soul. 
If you are very body conscious, you will miss out on your soul. Okay? When man died, man sinned, what died was your soul lost its connection with God. To bring restoration, God says, I have given you blood. Because life is in the blood. I still remember, right? Two weeks back, Thursday, okay? And I was sitting outside the ICCU. And the doctor came and said, your mother had back-to-back cardiac arrest. She may have only a few moments left. Now, she was going through so many things with her brain, with her tumor, all these things. But when your heart stops, he said, her heart stopped. He rushed in and said, heart stopped. We are trying to revive her. Then he came back and said, we revived her, but we do not think she will survive. That is when you are declared dead. That's when you are declared dead. Not brain dead does not mean you are dead. Lungs have failed on the ventilator. So many things can do. But when the heart finally stops and it cannot be revived, they give you the declaration, person is dead. But what does the heart do? It pumps blood. And if you look at blood is the only thing that goes to every cell of your body. And God says, life is in the blood. So the blood is connected with life. And I give what wages of sin is rewrite the sentence with life. Wages of sin is loss of and where is life? In the blood. Simple logic. So God says, when you sinned, you lost life. To restore life, to make temporary atonement, I have given you blood. Given. That's why God says, you can eat meat, never eat blood. Never eat blood. Because there is life in the blood. If you partake of blood, you will be partake of other people's or other creatures' life. And you don't want to be a mixture. That's why in every occult things, blood is drunk. Blood is drunk. Okay. So God says, I have given you blood. I have given you blood. For what? To make atonement for what? For your soul. So, very religiously, every religion will say, doctor declares, heart has ceased. Declared cardiac arrest, whatever, heart has stopped, whatever ailments, ultimately heart stops, declared dead. And he will say, the soul has departed. Every religious people will say, let his or her soul rest in peace. So everybody knows it's connected with the soul has left. Now all you have is a mortal body. Soul has left. And what I have given to you to make atonement for your soul? Because when the soul lives, let it live peacefully. But there's only one thing that has been given to make peace for the soul. What is that? Blood. Okay, that is blood. Because salvation is the salvation of soul. And God is interested in everybody's soul. If you go to Ezekiel 18 and verse 20, it's a very powerful verse. Hmm? Verse 20, 18, 20, Ezekiel 18, 20. The soul whose sins shall die. So it's not talking about the body. It's talking about the soul. 
How does the soul die? It is separated from the source of life. God is the source of life. God is life. He is the source of life. We separated. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself. The wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. So there is something that says what happens. The soul that sins shall die. The problem here is, in Romans 3.23, it puts one word, which we do. There's only three letters. What is that? For all. Only three letters. But we all came under that all. All have sinned. Not most. All have sinned. All have sinned. All have sinned. In Romans 6.23. Okay. Wages of sin is? Sin is death. But God is giving us a gift. It's a gift. Free gift. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Why? Why is so God so interested? Again, Ezekiel speaks through, God speaks through Ezekiel 33, verse 10 and 11. He's speaking to Israel in type to all of us. Therefore, you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus you say, if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us and we pine away in them, how can we then live? And look at verse 11. Very powerful. Mark that in your Bible. Okay, It's a very, you will need this. These words. Say to them, as I love, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I have no, we think, see, when a wicked man dies, we say good riddance. God doesn't say that. Because we don't have the heart of God, we will say good riddance. He says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But, this is what, that wicked turn away from his way and love. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Oh, why should you die, O house of Israel? Okay, Why should you die, O house of Israel? So the book of Revelation says, Jesus loved us and washed us cleansed us with his own blood. Okay? So, there are many things which God does. But there is a precondition. Our part. Okay? Our part. You know, Don't go there. Go back to that previous uh, um, Ezekiel 33.11. There is one precondition which we have to do. Okay? What is that? Turn. Turn. Yeah, that's called repentance. Okay, there's something which you are called to do. Lord, I like this life I am living, but when I die, I want to go to heaven. He says, it doesn't work that way. Turn, 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 turn. Okay, turn, turn. One thing God asks of us is what? Repentance, turn. Okay, if you look at First Kings 18.21 and then verse 37. Elijah came to all the people and said, <coughs> How long will you falter between two opinions? Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. People answered him, not a word. In other words, Yahweh is life, Baal is death. How long? People won't. People won't make it. They won't turn. Okay. And then what happened? 
his prayer his whole thing that people should turn okay hear me o lord hear me that this people may know that you are the lord god that you have turned their hearts back to you again how did they turn how did they turn fire came down right fire 38 and 39 if you read you will see fire came down fire of the lord fell consumed the burnt sacrifice the wood the stones the dust it licked up water that was in the trench verse 39 now when all the people saw it they fell on their faces and they said the lord is god the lord is god they turned do you know what this is called today it's called panic conversion it's called panic conversion they saw if they had turned in 21 when he said how long and he, no signs no wonders you know the truth yahweh is god you turn it is more of a genuine conversion which will last panic conversions usually do not last because when the conditions when there is no the panic conversion to continue fire has to keep on falling every day after some time the fire also becomes common like manna manna is coming every day after our soul they didn't say our mouth or our stomach because they are all looking strong so they cannot say our body is rejecting manna no body is receiving manna but our soul loathes manna okay so this is this is the issue with turning this is the issue okay because when you turn because you it is primarily you are turning with the last part that is your emotions without deep convictions emotion it's an emotional without deep convictions but when repentance takes place okay repentance take place if you go to hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1 you know what happens repentance from dead works okay repentance from dead works and faith towards god okay this is our response it may look so simple but that is our response okay so god demands one thing from us only demands one thing and he will do it if you are willing it's a constant process okay this is a one time and a constant process that we keep on turning Okay, it's it is not three sixty. You don't get the number. It's one eighty. Okay, if it's three sixty, you'll end up where you started. <laughs> okay, because I myself, without thinking maths, long ago preached three sixty, and you end up in the same direction. It's one eighty, one eighty. You are repenting. You are repenting. Finally, you and God are in the same alignment. Okay, but first, you understand the goodness of God. and when you repent it's not repentance alone is not enough because repentance you need to understand repentance is there in every religion you cannot have a religion without repentance there's no religion without repentance but they do not have christ so they repent and then try to make themselves better with their good works and it ultimately does not work so please don't under- misunderstand repentance and turn to christ turn to god turn to christ and what does christ do his blood starts working 
The blood works in many ways. The first way it works is Ephesians 1 2. Ephesians 1 2. Ephesians 1 2. Grace to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, verse 7, not 2, 7, 7. I have my 2, 7 looked like 2. Okay, one seven. In Him we have redemption through His blood. In Him, the first word there used is the word redemption. Redemption is like a market term. Okay, market time. See, when Paul is writing all these things, his age, people understand. Roman Empire had around 60 million slaves. They could be bought and sold like whichever way you want. And somebody could also buy a slave and set the slave free. Okay, free. So the first word there is got to do with marketplace. We were all slaves of sin, slaves of Satan, taken captive through ignorance or willfully whatever, taken captive to do his will. We were all slaves. And when we repented and turned to God, what did God do? We were redeemed. We were purchased by God out of Satan. What is the price that is demanded? Blood. Redemption through, we were Paid, blood-bought children. And what did he do? He set us free. So the first thing connected with the blood of Jesus is redemption. That's the first thing he does. He redeems us. Okay. Second thing he does, Hebrews 9 and verse 22. According to the law, all things are purified with the blood without shedding of blood. There is no remission. Remission is a word that has got to do with pardon or forgiveness. Judge sentences you to six years of imprisonment. And on appeal, the higher court remitted the sentence and made it to six months. That means five years and six months was taken out of your remit means to bring down, reduce, remission. Pardon. Here, what did you do? He gives us a full pardon of forgiveness for our sins. First is redemption. Second is remission. Understand what the blood of Jesus does. We were redeemed. We were bought from the enemy's camp. Second, we were forgiven. Remission. It is to God to do with the sins of our past. All our sins. Because understand, the law always stands Against us. Against us. The law always stands against us. It's the way the law. See, why is the Justice Department able to indict President Trump in a federal court? Because they know. If you bring the law, you can indict the entire population of America if you want. If you want to apply the laws of India, all 1.4 Six billion people will be indicted. Because nobody can keep our own law of the land. It's impossible to keep. Impossible to keep. 
you don't need any law any department all your department is the income tax department that income tax department from the president down to everybody will be indicted because the fellow in the income tax department also cannot keep the law the only way you can keep the laws of the income tax department is actually by having no income <laughs> do you know the laws do you know the laws okay so you need to understand how the law works the law works again it doesn't help anybody it indicts everybody and according to the law almost all things are purified with the blood you enter into the temple courts from there to the most holy place it's a blood bath it's a blood bath why because of the law from the beginning onward the law is always saying sinner 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 only upay what is the only way out blood see blood so without the shedding of blood there is no remission so not only am i redeemed from the enemy camp god also forgives all the sins i did while i was in the enemy camp are you getting the difference i was in the enemy camp i did all kinds of things which was against him he in his love spelled pity on me he bought me not only that he said everything that you did against me i forgive you i forgive you okay acts chapter 2 and verse 38 and peter said to them repent and let every one of you baptize in the name of jesus christ what for the remission of our sins how do we get remission of our sins because of his blood because of his blood luke 24:47 you may say pastor is not a prayer meeting why are you going on you need to the power of prayer is connected with the blood they overcame him first thing is by the blood of the lamb if you don't understand what the blood does and how to make use of the blood you cannot win over the enemy because what defeated all his claims over mankind is the blood of jesus and most people do not know how to use what god has given us if you know how to use the blood you can stand before god without being condemned and stand against the devil because he has no answer to the blood of jesus that's the most powerful weapon which god has given us all of israel walked out of israel out of egypt simply because they put a shadow not the substance is christ the shadow that is a type of the blood of jesus the blood of the passover lamb and the destroyer went over pharaoh said let them go the power of the blood they didn't do anything till the 10th plague you need to realize israel did nothing just sat there and was watching what god was doing they were asked to do only one thing at the end take the blood apply it to your doorpost and then sit inside and the destroyer will pass over and when the firstborn of israel is egypt is dead the pharaoh will let you go and you let them go so the blood works for us the blood works against the enemy that is the principle that's why we need to understand what the blood first does for me what does it do do for me first it purchases me i am redeemed by the blood second i have the remission of sins 
that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning. So we are not just preaching repentance. See, John could only preach repentance. He could not preach the remission of sins because it's Christ's job. He's making a way for Christ to come into our lives. He's the way maker. He's the one who's going, preparing the way. How is what is the way? The way for God to come more and more into our life is the way of repentance. And what does it do? The blood redeems us. The blood remits us. Okay? Romans 3.25. 3.25. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. You see, you and I have kind of some kind of control over today, our present. Less control over tomorrow. No control over yesterday. Yesterday. No control over yesterday. Okay? That's got to do with guilt. Our guilt is connected with... See, if you could go into your yesterday and change, you wouldn't have guilt. But the thing is that nobody has, like, you know, the way, like when I reacted, I was mind going through and mom went to be with the Lord and all. But as a son, my mind was always, could I have done things differently to extend her life? Could I have done things differently? What if in this month I had done this and this, 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 this? The question, but can you go back? No, you cannot go back. Look at all of it. Let me ask, it doesn't matter how young you are. If you were to be told, with the knowledge you have, how old are you, Deepika? Young Deepika. No, Anjali is the youngest. And how old are you? 16 years old. Anjali, with the knowledge you have today, if you are given a chance to go back 10 years in life, you will change so many things in your life, right? All of us will. But we have no power over the past. And when we look back, we are only looking at incidents. We are not looking at our sins. And the Bible says, God because of his blood, has passed over the sins that were previously. The destroyer passed over. Every sin's penalty is the same, death. What did God do? He passed over. Why? Because when we believed at the doorpost of our soul, God applied the blood of his son. And the destroyer passed over all our sins. That is the remission. We got a free pardon. Got a free pardon. In Matthew 26, we looked at it yesterday, in the Nepali meeting, 26 to 28. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them and said, Drink. Now, you know what? It's actually... Preponi is having the Passover meal. The Passover meal is what Jews do to remember the Passover. Every year, every family, they're remembering how God brought their forefathers out of Egypt. Okay? But in that, in that Passover meal, Jesus suddenly turns from the old covenant to the new covenant, institutes a new covenant at the Passover meal. He gave them the cup and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many. What? For the remission of, remission of our sins. 
for the remission of our sins, for the forgiveness of our sins. So we need to understand, when the Bible says, Jesus, just one-fourth, one-fifth of a verse, He loved us and cleansed us by His own blood. What does it mean? He redeemed us. He purchased me. Remission. He pardoned me. He didn't stop there. Colossians chapter 1, 20 and 21. Colossians 1. And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made, made peace through the blood of cross. Now look, you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. Okay, we'll read verse 22 also. He has reconciled. Okay, reconciled. Okay, but if you look at verse 22, okay, how did he reconcile? He reconciled it through his blood. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, blameless, above reproach in his sight. How did he make reconciliation possible? Through the blood. Through the blood. See, I can be redeemed. Okay, I can remember. Okay, remember an old, old movie. When I was in school or college, I saw it as a Tamil movie dubbed in Malayalam, where this rich man, young man, falls in love with this poor girl and marries her and the father throws him out. He finds a job and he's trying to earn and they're very happy, you know, they're very happy. And then one day she's ill, diagnosed with cancer. There's a Kamalasana and Sri Devi or Ambika or somebody, okay, cancer. Now she needs very expensive treatment. Expensive treatment. He has no money for that. So he humbles himself and goes back to his father. Begs. Father looks at him, mad, angry. Okay? Mad, angry, but he's his son, no? So he treats him like dirt and throws bundles of notes at him. Something like that, I can't remember. Okay? So if you know, it is like uh, you have been redeemed, you have been forgiven, but there's no reconciliation. Think about it. We have been redeemed. From the hands of the enemy. You have been forgiven. But don't come near me. Don't come near me. You have to understand what the blood does. Then only we will understand how Jesus loved us. I've been redeemed. Praise God. I've been remitted of all my sins. Praise God. But don't you dare come near me. I don't want anything to do with you. A lot of people act like that. You hold their nose. I'll pay your debts off. Get out, get out of sight. I don't want to see you again. I don't want to see you again. But that's not what he did. He redeemed us. We had the pardon, the remission of our sins. And then what did he do? He reconciled us. That is the story of the prodigal son. Reconciled us to himself. How? Having made peace through what? The blood of his cross. We were alienated. In our minds itself we were Enemies of God. But he reconciled. Through what? Through the body of his death. And how did he present us? Holy. Holy. Blameless. Blameless. Above reproach in his sight. His sight. Did you see what he did? So he redeemed us. 
He remitted our sins and he reconciled us. Okay. It deals with peace with fellowship. In Leviticus 8.15, the, the, the temple is going to start functioning and before that the sons of Aaron, Aaron all has to be ordained. You know? Moses killed that animal, bull or whatever. He took the blood put some on the horns of the altar all around with his finger, purified the altar and he poured the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. That's another word that is used. Okay? But basically, atonement means, uh, which version is this? Yeah, it basically means to make, uh, it's KJV or NKJV? This, to make reconciliation upon him. That, yeah. To make reconciliation upon it. He's making reconciliation. For whom? Even the priest have to be reconciled. When Aaron has to be reconciled. To make reconciliation. Okay. Hebrews 2 and verse 7. Hebrews 2 verse 7. You have made him Okay, leave it alone. Okay. Basically, Jesus as the high priest, okay, this is Aaron. He went through the whole process so that we could be reconciled to God. Reconciled to God. Basically, what does it mean? Restoring us back to the original state of relationship. That man can walk with God again. That's what reconciliation means. No? Reconciliation is not an easy thing. Reconciliation is not an easy thing. But uh, to make, yeah, 2.17, instead of 7, it was 17. Wherefore in all things it behoved him to be made like unto the brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. For what? To make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Why is Jesus sitting there and day and night making intercession for the saints? To reconcile us constantly back to the Father. That was the job of the priest. What are the chiefs all doing? To reconcile people back to God for their redemption, for their remission, and for their reconciliation. That's what Jesus is trying to do. To recon- That's why he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father. He's trying to reconcile us back to the Father. Okay, like I said, this is the main thing. The final move of the Elijah is to turn the hearts of the children back to the father. And that's the key. The, the whole problem in the world is because the people have been alienated from the father. Especially God the Father has been alienated from God the Father. And the crisis we see in the, we look at all the crises. Like we say, uh, the basic element of this building is a brick. This is a compilation, um, compiling so many bricks in order. We have a house. What is a brick? The basic unit. What is the basic unit? The basic unit is a home. And what is the head of the home? Is the father. When the father goes missing, everything falls apart. And all the crisis you see in the world is the result of the father going. Either the father is not standing up and becoming a father, or the father is not allowed to become a father, or he has left the home. And when the father goes missing, everything starts falling apart. 
So restoration is Jesus has come. When Adam and Eve were separated from the Father, everything started falling apart. And Jesus has come to reconcile us back to the Father. And the Elijah ministry in the last days is to turn the hearts of the children back to the Father, the hearts of the fathers back to the children. So understand, that's where it all works. So there is reconciliation. What does reconciliation primarily do? It causes you to walk with your father again. That's the whole thing. It teaches you how to walk with God again. Like before the fall, Adam and Eve walked with God and man would walk with God again. And in the walk with God, now we come to the fourth thing which the blood does. The fourth thing the blood does is one John. Chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. If we say we have fellowship with him, okay? Now this has got to do with reconciliation. Walk And walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And verse 8 and 9, but if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you go back to verses, there are two things here. One, one is the term called light. The other is the term called darkness. One is the term called sin. The other is the term called righteousness. The Bible says he is in the light. He's in the light. He's righteous. There's nothing wrong with him. The way he thinks, he talks, he acts. So if you want to have fellowship with God, we have to walk in the light. That's why the psalmist says, the entrance of your word brings light. The word of God is light. Word of God is light. So when you run away from the word, you are running away from the light. In this world, the only thing that is Light is the word. And Jesus stepped down and said, I am the light of the world because the word became life. The word became life. So the Bible says, in him was life and that life was the light of men. And then Jesus said, you are the light of the world. So he's saying something. Once we are saved, once we are saved, the life of God has come in us. Okay, And as we start obeying the word and walking in it, without ourselves realizing, we they see the light in us. There's a difference between the light of a religious righteous man and there is the difference of the light of a man who is right with God. You know what's the difference? The difference is a righteous man who is under the law is doing everything right. The man who has been made right by God, understand how he is made right with God. One, he is always trying to be right and two, he always walks in mercy. Mercy is something this man does not know because under the law there is no mercy. Under the law there is no mercy. So one, we are one who seek mercy, we are ones who show mercy. 
We seek mercy when we are wrong. We acknowledge and we say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. This man never says, if he's wrong, then he tries better to be right. There's no, there is no room in the law for sorry. There's no room in the law for sorry. But here, this is a difference because a lot of people confuse because you say that man is much better than him. But he's showing no light to anybody because his righteousness only brings condemnation. That's why the Pharisee is condemning the other man. He cannot help it because the law condemns. He says, I'm not like him. I'm not like him. But what is this light? We show this light one. We are trying to be right. But we are always aware where we came from and how we have redeemed. We were not redeemed by the works of the law. We have redeemed by God's mercy and his blood. So even as we every day daily try to be right in our walk with God, we are always seeking mercy from God and man and also showing mercy. That's why God says, blessed are the merciful. But in the law there are no merciful people. No merciful people. No merciful people under the law. Law doesn't show mercy. Law doesn't show mercy. Okay? So we need to understand. This is what it's talking about. So, when we are walking in the light, okay, because he is light, we are consciously aware. But why are you walking in the light? You are walking in the light because you want fellowship with God. Hmm? You want fellowship with God. That's the reason. If you don't want fellowship with God, why would you want to write? It's cockroaches who walk in the night. They don't like light. They don't like. And we do not realize, often we act like human cockroaches. We don't like light. Okay. But you need light for fellowship. If you want a fellowship with God, you need light. But sometimes if you want a fellowship with man, light will cause you to disrupt fellowship. So what do we do? We compare. That is why in the, in the book of Daniel, it talks about the Antichrist and those who know the Lord shall do great, uh, exploits. But about the Antichrist, he says, he will flatter many. Flattery is also a form of fellowship. You know he's wrong, but you will say he's right. Right? Because you want to fellowship with him. Because he has something you can get from him. Okay? So devil is a flatterer. Flatterer. Now, it doesn't mean you need to be a judge and point out the mistake of everybody. That's none of your, our business. Okay? But we need to realize, you want to walk with God. The only way you can walk with God is in the light. And if you want to walk in the light, the first thing you need to realize, it doesn't matter how long you have walked with God, there is still darkness inside which we do not know of. That's what the Bible says, if any man says he is without sin, then he makes God a liar. But if we confess, to confess, first you need to know. If you don't know, can you confess? No. To know what do you need? Light. You need Light. So what does light basically do? It will show us the dark areas in our life. It's not coming to, con- to condemn. It's going to bring us... It is The purpose of God's word as light is not to condemn us, but to make us confess. And when we confess, who is faithful? 
He is faithful. And what does the blood of Jesus do? It cleanses of all unrighteousness. In the process, what happens? We get a closer walk with God. That is what Enoch is celebrated in the Bible. You see, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4, Abel shows away. Even though he is dead, he still speaks. What does he speak? He speaks there is a way to God and it is only through the blood. That is Enoch. That is Abel. After that comes Enoch. What does Enoch do? He teaches us how to walk with God so close that we can walk with God and God will take us away to his abode. And he was no more. That is what Hebrews 11, 6 is talking about. 5 is talking about Enoch's walk. 6 is talking about without faith. So God says, the only way you can walk with me is by faith. Faith in whom? Faith in God. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. So faith has two parts. One, it is a constant cleansing of ourselves with one purpose, primary purpose. What is that? I want to walk with God. I want to fellowship with God. Second thing is doing things. That's the second part. But the first part is this. I want to walk with God. I want to walk with God. Because you need to understand the danger. You can do things for God without walking with Him. Because all you need is a gift. All you need is a gift. The gifts of God are given free. With gifts you can do tremendous things for God. But that doesn't mean you're walking with God. Walking with God. Okay? So, God's whole purpose is so that we walk in the light, He shows our sins, we deal with our sins, one more day closer with walk, a closer walk with thee, a closer walk with thee. So He's working in us and He's working through us. He's working in us and through us. So that's Statement is not a simple statement. It's a very powerful statement. Jesus who loved us and washed us with his own blood. So the first three was redemption, remission, reconciliation, and then this daily cleansing. Okay? With this day, remember, when I got saved, each one of you got saved. The day you got saved, God washed us with his blood. And gave us a new nature. That is one time. This is what Jesus was trying to tell Peter when Peter said, I will not let you wash my feet. Then he said, you will have no part in me. Then he says, then gave me a bath. He says, no need, you need to only bath. bathe once. Okay, bathe once. You need to understand. If you read scripture, you will understand. Now, if we don't have to read scripture, it's very practical. We all shower in the morning. I hope you showered in the morning. We shower in the morning. Okay, and after that, now of course we all wear shoes. You have to go back in the old days. Do you know there are still people in the world who do not wear footwear, who walk bare feet? Plenty, tens, thousands, millions are there who walk bare feet. So when they come in, the first thing they do is they wash their feet. Okay, before you eat, you wash your one way or other you clean your hand see you should not condemn people for their own different ways in their, in their culture they operate because but you are looking at is he washing his hands or not because it's good for him you don't have to judge oh his, his culture is so low because they, Jesus did not wash his hands and the Pharisees had a hu huge issue with it 
Sabiari. Because if you go to Bhutan, you go to in the rural areas, if they sit down to eat, you will suddenly realize they will not give you water to wash your hands. And you will say, what kind of people are? And I, you know what? Then you have to watch them. You have to watch them. You know what they will do? They will first take a handful of rice. It's a kind of a sticky kind of rice. And you'll throw it off. Your hands are clean. Your hands are clean. They take off. Like if you do with atta, after that your hands are clean. Everything is gone out of your hands, right? That's what they do. So the, one of the things which you need to realize, your feet symbolizes your walk. Your hands symbolizes your walk. And then there is something else we wash regularly, at least three times a day. What is that? We wash our mouth. Your walk, your work, and your words. We need daily cleansing. Okay? Some of us may have to wash our eyes, ears. Okay? Remember the high priest, it was the ears, the thumb, and his toe. What he hears, and what he does, and how he walks. And what is that washes? It's the blood. You see, when Jesus says, you are already clean because of the word, you need to realize, when you hear the word, the word actually only shows the dirt. The word in itself does not have the power to clean. Because the word was always there. What cleans is the blood. Okay? What cleans is the blood. So there is a daily cleansing of our walk, of our work, our ears, our eyes, our speech. If we are, we confess, He is faithful. Faithful. This is what the Bible is talking about. Blessed are those who read who hear, keep the... What is the prophecy? He's coming. He's coming. Every eye will see. Every word. Every deed. Every thought. Every intention of your heart. Everything will be bare before him and will be judged. So if you want to get across with distinction... Use the blood, the only thing given to us that can cleanse us. Nothing else. Nothing else. That's why we sing. Because today in the Gospels, in the churches, the blood has been taken away. Songs have been taken away. People get offended because of the blood. You take the blood away, everything falls apart. There is no redemption. There is no remission. There is no reconciliation. Everything is gone. So please remember, remember, blessed are those. Okay? And that's why the blood, if you go to Hebrews 4.16 and then 10.19. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain, first what? Mercy. What is mercy for? It's for sins. What is grace for? Not to sin. We have to see it that way. What is mercy for? My faults. What is grace for? That I am not faulty again. <laughs> Lord, I fell. 
mercy. Lord, I don't want to fall. Grace. How should we come? Boldly. How can we come boldly? 10.19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest. By what? The blood. So the blood of Jesus not only cleanses us, it gives us the boldness. It gives us the boldness. I can come. I can come. Why? Because in the Holy of Holies, another place you will see in the book, in the Holy of Holies, the blood of Jesus speaks for me. It doesn't speak against me. Christ speaks for me. Okay? That is um, 1 John 2. 1 1 John 2. 1. Christ speaks for me. Okay? Little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus. Christ speaks for me. Second, the blood speaks for me. The blood speaks for me. Okay? And then, as we come to the end, Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. Then 1 John 2, 13 and 14. It happened in the spring of the year at a time when kings go out to battle. Who go out to battle? Kings go to battle. Spring, okay, after spring comes summer. After summer comes autumn. After autumn comes winter. Spring means you are all in the spring of your life. Youth. During spring, where do kings go? And what has he made us? Kings and priests. So we should go to war. 1 John chapter 2, 13. Fathers, because you have known him who is young, I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. So the young men, those who are in the spring, what should be your characteristic? This is the age you have to learn to battle sin and overcome. So that God can use you for greater things later. This is the age of overcoming your personal sins. Overcome. Young men, you have overcome the wicked one. If you go to verse 14. I have written to young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. You have overcome the wicked one. Now if you go to Revelation 12 and verse 1. 12, 11, not 1, 12, 11. Okay, not 1, 12, 11. How did they overcome the wicked one? By the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony. First thing is by the blood of the... As young people, you should learn how to apply the blood. How to use the blood. How to walk without condemnation. How to walk close. You have to learn how to. In the spring, kings go to war. This is my... That's why you have these incredible young people in the Old Testament. A Joseph. A Daniel. A David. Right? And a young man called Saul, the apostle, who will become Paul. These are all young men. Why were they used till the end of their life mightily by God? Because when they were young, they went to war. In spring. Who did they go to war? War with the wicked ones who tries to take you down into his domain. And how do you overcome him? By what Christ has done. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb. Two, by the word of their testimony. And three, 
did not love their lives to death. Do you know what it actually means? In, I mean, people look at did not love their lives. It's a very complicated sentence, no? And simple, shall I put you in a layman's language? When you are young, learn to take risks. Faith is a risk. Do you know faith is a risk? See, the older you get, you're more reluctant to take risks. But when you are young, this is the age you should be willing to take a risk. Because the slogan should be, is nothing to lose, everything to gain. But when you are married, suddenly something to lose. When you have children, more to lose. You will start, you know, backing off. Backing off. If you look at the people who took risks and overcame till the end, Joseph was young and unmarried. Daniel and his three friends were young and unmarried. David was young and unmarried. Apostle Paul was young and unmarried. So in the early age, they took risks. Career risks, if you are talking about career risks, all should be taken when you are young. Not when you are 50 and all. It's very difficult to take a career risk. Because you have children, others who are dependent upon you. And the greatest risk in this life is faith. Faith is a risk. Because there is no sight involved in it. It is entirely connected with a realm which is unseen. But you have absolute confidence in God and in his word. And you know the things that you see are temporal. And the things that you do not see are eternal. So looking at that, you are t- making decisions. There will be scoffers, there will be mockers, there will be all kind of opposition. Like during the days of Noah. And never seen rain. Doesn't know what a flood is. But by the word of God, he built something by looking into the unseen. And they all laughed and scoffed and mocked. But at the end, the rain came. The rain came and what he built stood. So faith is a risk. You cannot walk with God on earth without willing to take a risk. So what does it mean? They overcame the devil by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. And the third thing, all these people are willing to take us. Willing to take us. Everyone who has walked by faith took a multiple risks through their life. But the reason is why they trusted God. No? Trusted God. So get this thing today. Nothing else. Understand how the blood works. How the blood works. It is Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. It's a very small portion. We looked at four portions, right? We looked at about the message is from Jesus. We saw him as a faithful and true witness. We saw him as a firstborn from the dead. We saw him as a ruler over the kings of the earth. And the fifth one, to him who loved us. He loved. How did he love us? And washed us from our sins in his own blood. In his own blood. And we need to understand the power of the blood of Jesus. And God says, use it. It was shed for you. It was given for you. Use it. Apply the blood. Confess and let my blood cleanse you. Come with boldness because the blood gives you entry. Understand these things. I've been redeemed. I've been remitted of all my sins. I have been reconciled with God. And now what do I do? I daily apply so that I can walk closer with God. And then you take the blood and you fight the enemy. It's for protection and it is also for offense. Let's have Peter and we will pray.
And I will again say, pray for President Trump. Because you know what? I love fighters. He's a fighter. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's face and sinners plunged beneath his blood lose all the guilty stains lose all the guilty stains lose all the guilty stains and sinners plunged
God, thank you. Though we are caught in the daily events that take place, please remember, in a month's time, in a year's time, in two years' time, none of these things would matter. The only thing that would matter is where and how do we stand before God. Only thing that will matter. How will each one stand before God? The only way we can stand before God, right, is by and through the blood. If we confess, He is faithful. And the blood that purchased us, redeemed us, that pardoned us, that reconciled us back with God will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The blood, the blood, the blood. This morning by faith, let us come under the blood. Let us bring our homes, our families, our households under the blood. All that was told to Israel was to apply the blood and stay with their households under the blood. And it didn't matter who it was. All it was told to a Canaanite prostitute, Rahab, was to tie a crimson rope and stay inside on the day of judgment. And when judgment came upon Jericho, that crimson blood, that crimson rope held her household together. And she passed. The wrath of God passed over her and our household. blood of Jesus, the blood, the blood. Father, we come today under the blood of Jesus. And by faith we plead the blood, the blood, the blood over our homes, or our families, or our children, over our churches, over all your people, over President Trump. We plead the blood. Yes, the enemy Lord. is after him because yes, Lord, it's not a joke what he says. He stands in the way of the Illuminati and their foot soldiers, the Freemasons from taking over, enslaving this whole world. There is only one political leader that stands in the way. Yes, yes. That's yes. him. They know if they can take him down, they can take the rest of the world. Yes. And he stands in the way. We worship you. Yes, we glorify you. We believe today. We stand we in your house once again and we declare, Thine is the kingdom. The power, power and the, the glory, glory forever, forever and ever. Amen. 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 Amen.